Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. I believe with every fibre of my being that the course I have set out is the right one for our country and all our people. What has been achieved today is not Brexit. I don't believe this government has negotiated fairly or effectively. Brexit is a lose-lose situation. We have always followed the EU mandate. It is utterly unacceptable to anybody who believes in democracy. Hello and welcome to Brexit The Final Countdown. This week I am delighted to be joined by Michael Heaver, Brexit Party MEP for the East of England. Hello, great to be here. You are a fascinating character, former member of UKIP, founder of Westminster. You were on Question Time when you were 17. I think I was uh, 17, 18, it seems a long time yeah. ago. Do you know we Very also went to, the same, we went to the same sixth form? Did we now? Yeah, Hills Road. Road. Yeah. Wow. How did you I, find it? I think I emerged from it quite differently to you, um, <laughs> but that's all right. It's a great school, isn't it? Well, I was the only kid from my school to go to that sixth form that year. Where, so, you? Yeah. Where did you go? Coleridge sixth form, uh, Coleridge uh, secondary school. In which Cambridge, was on special Cambridge. Methods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. They haven't named a wing after you yet, though. I don't know why on the Hills Road alumni side. <laughs> You haven't got a library or... No, and I don't think it went down that well at my university either because they've got quite a big uh, green green contingent. Where were you? UEA? UEA. So actually some of the lecturers and things have stood for the green. So I don't think the Brexit party went down too well there. But that's okay. I'm anti-establishment. I don't mind. You're still going. Take it on the chin. I'm also joined by express.co.uk columnist Paul Baldwin. Hello. Hello. The last one to the podcast this morning, but no one's counting. And our man in Brussels, our Europe editor, Joe Barnes. Hello. Hello, I'm Rebecca Hudson, and guys, it's time to put down your single-use plastic coffee cups because we've got 29 days to go until Brexit. You actually haven't got one, have you? So everyone's doing very well on the eco front this morning. Absolutely. No aids, snatching them out of your hand. Yes. Uh, yeah, 29 <laughs> days to go. A lot to discuss. Um, okay, so it's the final offer we've got there, haven't we? Um, I'm not sure we've got there at all. Have we? We, we're in exactly the same place we were three years ago, as well as I can see. Um, so Boris is going, where is he going? He's going into a tunnel, is that right, Joe? I don't think we're going to have a tunnel yet. Um, what we do know is David Frost, his negotiator, sometime this afternoon, so after Boris Johnson's given his kind of keynote speech, the Tory party conference, will be here in Brussels to meet Michel Barnier, and he's going to drop off this magical document. We don't know the size, the colour yet, but we kind of do know some of what's in it. It just sounds like a massive headache. So it's this this idea that Northern Ireland leaves the customs union but stays in large parts in the single market to maintain alignment on SPS. There's no easy and interesting way of saying this. Oh, well, it's very that's, complicated. That's polite. Why don't you let me try and finish? Um, so there's alignment on SPS, which is sanitary and phytosanitary goods. Okay, I'm sticking to what that's I correct. just said. Thank about, you. <laughs> there's no easy um, way of saying Goods that. and industrial goods uh, until at least 2025 when the Northern Irish Assembly would be able to vote on whether they want to maintain that arrangement with the EU or return to following British rules. So actually, I don't know, sounds like a, sounds quite a lot like the backstop, doesn't it, Michael? Well, absolutely. It sounds pretty messy to me. And of course, I mean, we'll probably get into this a bit later. But quite frankly, you know, I think we need a clean break Brexit. I think all of this stuff now, the EU already pushing back against it. Even if it goes through... 
from our perspective, Brexiteers' perspective, it'll be a complete mess. It will draw out the entire process for years and years to come. It will constrain the United Kingdom in so many different ways. It will cost us an absolute fortune. And we want a clean break at the end of October. Mm-hmm. You want to be out of a job. You're the only turkey that votes for Christmas. Is that the phrase, turkey that vote for Christmas? You want to be out of a job. Absolutely. Well, look, Nigel Farage has done very, very well over a number of years, he making has, sure that he? he loses his job. He's pushed for it and pushed for it and he battled has. for it. And we're doing the same. And listen, in terms of the European Parliament, I think it's fair to say the Brexit Party MEPs have had more of an impact in the short time we've been there than many have for years and years. I mean, there's many you know, Lib Dem, Labour, Tory MEPs who have been there for donkey's years who you couldn't name. We've mm. gone there. We've videoed what's going on. We've showed people what's going on. We've exposed what's going on. And we try to reiterate time and time again, this is why we must leave. To be mm. fair, most people, until you guys got there, didn't know who their, uh, their MEP was. They could have walked past them in the street yeah. and just not known who that, they were, what they did, and how much we paid them. But that, that is by design, though. What I will say is the whole European Parliament system and the European Union is designed so these establishment MEPs go over there, they get their feet under the table, they sort of go into this little system whereby, as you say, they're virtually anonymous, they're doing very well out of it, they don't do much work and they just become part of the system. I mean, MEPs have no real power other than going over there and exposing what's going on and beating the drum for Brexit. It's not a real parliament. In fact, many of the times that we sit in there at the moment, and if Joe's seen us in there, I'm sure he can attest to this, there's not many people in there. They have, deb- you know, they have these, these so-called debates. It's virtually empty most of the time. We turn up mob-handed, the whole lot of us, because we're supporting each other and we're showing that we're there battling for Brexiteers. Where the rest are, I don't know. The coffee bars, I don't know, having a nice lunch. But the more I've gone there, and a lot of people say this, the more you go there, the more time you go there, you can see what a bigger farce it is and why we must leave as soon as possible. I mean, it would be great to leave, wouldn't it? But there is this small niggling issue of the island of Ireland and Northern Ireland and the Good Friday Agreement um, and the United Kingdom. So it would be great to just leave. But then what's it, what, how does that leave... The, you know, how, what's the solution to the hard border on the island of Ireland, which we've all agreed we don't want? There's not going to be a hard border. There is not. Who's going to oh, put it up? you know the answer. Who's going to put it up? This whole thing has been confected to try and keep the UK... And I mean, we can talk about the withdrawal agreement as well, as it stands. I mean, this has all been confected because the EU are absolutely terrified, right, of a Brexit Britain that is fully unconstrained is able to become more competitive. They call it the equal playing field, the level playing field. This is what they refer to. The EU are terrified that a truly independent UK outside the customs union, outside the single market, is able to take a competitive advantage. And this is what they, if you look at the withdrawal agreement on things like state aid, for instance, they want to suck us in so we're not in a position whereby we have taken back control of things like that in terms of our trade policy, in terms of our regulation, in terms of environmental standards. These are all things that EU are seeking to control in the future through with the, with the withdrawal agreement. That's why we need to leave with a clean break Brexit, no deal. I'm right in thinking that, um, that um, the EU said to Boris, there is no chance whatsoever of, uh, of a border. And Boris has gone back and said, how about two then? Is that, is that roughly a reading of it? We, yes, what, what we're doing is we're talking about the Irish border, so north and south. And the EU have said, under no circumstances, basically supporting Ireland, supporting the overhead car, that there can be checks on the border or customs checks on the island of Ireland. Um, so what Boris has done, he's proposed to move... He's, he's admit, he's, he's come out and he's been truthful and said, look, our plan is no longer to con- con- basically have a completely frictionless island. What we want is as frictionless as possible. So he's proposing to move any checks that need to happen away from the border 
So at designated locations, they could be business warehouses, car parks, but they're, they're trying to restrict the idea that they're actually going to be, there's going to be physical infrastructure on the border or 10 miles away, 15 miles away. Okay. But so basically his plan now, and it's where the two borders, four years idea has come up with, his plan in the EU's eyes creates a customs border on the island of Ireland because the Northern Ireland will be leaving the EU's customs union, so it won't have the same kind of tariff levels, sorry, as the rest of the EU. But then it will also create a regulatory border between Great Britain and Northern Ireland, because Northern Ireland will remain aligned... And that's the one on, in the, say, in the Irish Sea, right? Yes, that will be in the Irish Sea. So we will have a basically an L-shaped border, north and south, and then east and west, um, which one, one um, senior diplomat this morning pointed out to me, um, very kind of senior and proactive in the Brexit debate, said, how on earth does that protect the Good Friday Agreement? Because you're putting up not just one border, but two borders. It, it did seem slightly um, very a very Boris solution to the problem that he he, he doubled the problem rather than uh, rather than halved it. Essentially, yeah. So the obviously the easy problem would be to say, okay, we're just going to Northern Ireland only backstop, but his his rule back out. The UK wide backstop not the answer because that's been rejected three times in Parliament. So then he's come up with this move and he's called it his final take it or leave it offer. But that's actually gone down quite badly over here in Brussels as well because they. Because the EU are like, well, if that is your final offer and you're not going to move from that, that is not acceptable for us. So we now need to work out what levels the talks are going to take. Are, is it the basis for a deal? Some people over here will say it is because they don't want to be blamed for no deal. But they guess that is what Boris is trying to do. Basically saying, well, if you don't negotiate with me, that will force for a no deal Brexit and you will be to blame. Okay. Michael, is this if this is the way to get Brexit done on the 31st of October, because obviously we do have the Ben law that's kind of kicking around that prevents, that's legally would try and prevent a no deal if this is the way to get brexit done by the end of the month and i know you're desperate to be unemployed again could you suck this up absolutely not absolutely we, not absolutely not so what would you we, rather the, with, with the withdrawal agreement the reason that it was rejected and of course this is one aspect of it there are many other things in there there's the 39 billion pounds there's all sorts of things it's been concocted overall as i said earlier to basically kill off the UK having any competitive advantage and being fully unshackled and unconstrained from the European Union in the future and things like European courts as well. And why this is such a bad idea is because people and express readers, for sure, are going to be very, very angry if MPs pass something that they call Brexit and they say, well, we've technically left the European Union, but oh, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do the other because Brussels still say the European courts are still ruling. We still have to give them huge amounts of money. We aren't allowed to uh, diverge on, on, on state aid and other rules and regulations here and there. People are going to say, well, wait a minute, have we left the EU or not? If, with a clean break Brexit, no deal. The, the, the UK can effectively, the government, as we voted for, will fully take back control of every policy area without interference from the European Union. And as I say, if you try and uh, uh, sell a position where, oh no, we've left the European Union, but actually they still tell us what we can and can't do in a whole variety of areas, that is going to go down very, very badly. But, but realistically... The, the chance of a no-deal Brexit are, look, are pretty slim, aren't they? Because there are lots of forces who are conspiring to prevent it. You know, you have the, you have courts and judges and millionaires and Remainer MPs and coalitions in, in Parliament who are trying to prevent no-deal at any cost. So would you risk an extension, which would be the other option, to avoid this deal? Or do you think you'd just be like, I can deal with this and I can... like. Yeah, uh, if we, do you if, see what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. But if we went along with that argument, we would have... 
you know, just submitted to the Theresa May deal and said, oh, well, you know, who knows what's going to happen next. The fact is the Brexit party only exists because we didn't leave as we were promised. We were sold a complete pup in terms of this Theresa May withdrawal agreement. And actually, it's worth looking how much is Boris Johnson going to try and change here because it's basically going to be exactly the same deal I can see in a whole variety of areas, which is, again, going to be unacceptable. And so the Brexit party is going to continually fight for a clean break from the European Union. We didn't come this far just to roll over and say, oh, well, the establishment's getting on top. No, this is why we won the European elections, and this is what we're fighting to do in Brussels, and this is what we're fighting to do in the UK. And we're going to be absolutely relentless in getting and ensuring independence is delivered, because that is what the majority of people in this country want. And as I say, it'll be very bad for politics and faith in MPs and democracy if we end up with a terrible deal where the EU still has huge amounts of power and say so over the running of this country. It's not what we voted for. Do you feel betrayed by Boris? Did you think when Boris um, crossed the threshold at number 10 without carry on his arm that um, he was going to be the man to deliver the kind of Brexit that you wanted or are you not surprised by this? Well, look, Boris has got a, a tough job and as Nigel Farage has said, he's given him credit. You know, he's brought energy to the job. He's brought enthusiasm to the job. He's brought a different approach from Theresa May. I think that much is clear. You know, chalk and cheese, There is really. more sex in uh, going in and around number 10 than I think we ever had under Theresa May. It's safe to say. <sighs> No comment. Um, but I think, uh, but uh, you know, I think Boris Johnson needs to, you know, the Brexit Party perspective is that Boris Johnson needs to wise up to the fact that this isn't this isn't the way to go. The way to go is a no deal, leave on WTO terms, and thereafter negotiate a free trade deal. The idea that we submit and hand over huge amounts of money for a withdrawal agreement is just totally and utterly wrong. And the Brexit Party is going to, you know, we've said if Boris goes for it and he goes for a clean break Brexit then we will uh, you know, be up for a non-aggression pact. But if he tries to go down the Theresa May route and tries to go for something like this, and by the way, the big risk for him is if he brings this back, a bad deal, and he gets rejected again in Parliament, then what's the difference between him and Theresa May? Would you, would you um, as bullish as you are, obviously, would you accept that November the 1st, the morning of November the 1st, would be pretty scary times for Britain? How, what does it look like? Well, in terms of a no-deal Brexit? Yeah, yeah. But there, are things, yeah. There, 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 are, there have been a lot of contingencies put in place on t- things like planes flying, things like this or this already. There have been uh, simplified customs procedures put forward. There have been preparations made, and I think they've been made much more since uh, a certain Philip Hammond uh, exited from being our, our Chancellor. I accept in the short term there will be, uh, things, there'll be sort of challenges that have to be dealt with. But the point is this. The point is... Brexit is about taking back control, running our country, doing it independently and doing it free and unconstrained from the European Union. And if you try and sell anything other than that as Brexit, you might try and blag it short term. You will be found out and you will pay the electoral consequences, my honest belief. Yeah. What are the challenge? What's, what's your threshold of challenges for this country that we would face on a November 1st clean break Brexit? Like, what is it? Like, recession, companies folding? Oh, no, no, like, no, what, no, like no, what's, the pri- what's the price that we'll pay? I'm, just, I'm truly curious. Like what, what, what? I don't think we're going to, the point is the British government will immediately have a massive competitive advantage over European governments and that they will have full control over what we do, what we can do and what we can't do. That's the point. And actually that gives us an advantage as a country. We can be nimble. We can plan things out that sp- specifically suit us in terms of trade deals. We can go and get our own trade deals. We don't have to rely on the European Union to go and do it on our behalf. It gives us the power, the British government, to run the country independently and in control. And I think that is hugely, hugely exciting. It's a massive competitive advantage. I don't see it as a challenge at all. I see it as a massive opportunity. And it's you know, if Boris Johnson goes that way, which I hope he does 
then I really think it'll be amazing. But if he doesn't, as I say, if he goes, if he, if he stays on this track, I think it's going to be very, very unpopular indeed. People are not going to buy it. When we, we have our public meetings around the country, people are not interested in this. They want a clean break. They want no deal. They want to leave. And they want, don't want to have, you know, EU control to hang over us for years and years to come. Joe, what are the chances of this um, final offer kind of getting much of a reception in your part of the world today? Are, we, are, they, are they hotly anticipated or is it that you didn't do enough homework? Wouldn't get an A at Hills Road kind of thing? So as it stands, as a final offer, they, they will bat it out of the water. But as, as I mentioned earlier, what they're going to do is they're going to be quite polite. They'll be nice. They'll listen. They'll kind of scope out and see what, see what manoeuvres and compromises can be made and try and come together. But I think what this has done is made the chances of a deal by October the 31st absolutely unlikely. So then you've got to choose between no deal, which has been outlawed with the Ben Act. So can Boris Johnson, can Dominic Cummins, can cut them, bring up their master plan and somehow circumnavigate the law to leave as Mike would want with a clean break? Or does he come back to the summit on the 17th and 18th and ask EU leaders for an extension? And then we are kind of at their, at their hold. That's why it's been known as the surrender, the surrender act by some, because essentially EU leaders will be the ones that choose the date when Britain next departs. Do you get the feeling, Joe, that we're being softened up for a extension, despite the, um, the it's thirty first of October or nothing? I'll be dead in the ditch. Do you think the subtext is really what's really going on? Is we're being softened up for an extension? Michael's nodding for the benefit of the tape. Well, just because the you know, this is how podcasts work, you have to say. <laughs> and this is where this is where Mike is going to come in. I truly believe, and I think I've been speaking to people over the last few weeks, and the plan seems to be that Boris Johnson is tabling something that is entirely unacceptable to the EU. So they will reject it and knock it back. He will then go, well, I'm not going to get a deal because the EU are being so intransigent. And they're but not it looks like he's being bullish and fighting on our behalf, right? Exactly. Exactly that. And then he will go, come back and then he'll go, oh, look, those, those pesky Remainer MPs, look at the courts. They forced me to come back begging to Brussels and ask for an extension. I don't want to, but I'm going to have to. But what we're going to do after, we're going to trigger an election. And at that stage... Um, Jeremy Corbyn has said that we will have an election after no deal is taken off the table. And then we'll have that full-on people versus the parliament battle um, that's been predicted for months and months. And Mike, you are going to be fighting in Benfleet, which is Castle Point, if I'm correct? Yeah, that's right. I'm the PPC for Castle Point. But I think what was said earlier about the, the date is absolutely correct. If you look at the Tory conference, get Brexit done rather than do or die. I mean, that date, or, you know, the end of October has sort of been very quietly dialed down. And look, a general election is well, well overdue. I mean, for God's sake, you've got the likes of Chukra Moon. I mean, how many times has he changed parties? He's got more parties <laughs> than I've had hot dinners. It's you know, all in the same parliament. Our parliament is you've totally... Had, you've had two parties though, right, as well? Well, of course, but, you know, quite quite spread out. A couple, you a, couple. <laughs> I had a brief, brief, brief time in the Tory party as well, believe it or not. But I no, I think... I two parties seems quite parsimonious but, 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 in the current well, climate. Well, <laughs> absolutely. But in terms, you know, the point is, our parliament is badly outdated. And I honestly believe, if you look at any of the polls, for instance, if you if you tell people, would you rather have a no-deal Brexit or Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister, no-deal Brexit's way, way ahead. Now, whether that how that comes about is interesting. Is Boris Johnson simply going to say, I don't want to deal with the Brexit? Well, firstly, is he going to commit to a no-deal Brexit? Because if there's any prospect of him going back to a bad deal again, the Brexit party is obviously going to reject that out of hand. But is he going to be sensible enough to say, actually, let's have a non-aggression pact? 
if he doesn't, the Brexit party, and if he, and if he pursues a deal, the Brexit party will be standing absolutely everywhere. And we, and, and, and here's the interesting thing. If you look at the polling, things are so, you know, on a week-to-week basis, they're changing so much depending on what's going on. And I'm afraid that uh, having promised the end of October, if Boris Johnson then doesn't live up, you know, people I think are going to look at the Brexit party and say, well, look, we've had two Conservative prime ministers who have not been able to deliver. And of course, you know, to some extent, Boris is seen as being very different to Theresa May. But they've given us dates. They've not delivered. Actually, is it time that we need a Brexit parliament, a Brexit party MPs to do this? And I think that's a very strong pitch. And I think, you know, bring on a general election is all I can say. You We're ready. ready. Yeah, you guys are ready. We are. Joe, do you want to come in? So coming back to the actual, whether this deal is going to be palatable to Brussels, um, I don't believe so. There's too many people speaking about holes in the single market, holes in the Good Friday Agreement already. Um, so we've had Simon Coveney, who's the Irish Deputy Prime Minister and Foreign Minister, come out this morning and basically say, look, we don't think it's going to work with customs checks on Ireland. So this deal might as well be dead in the ditch for now. But it's like, as I mentioned, it's where do we go next? Is it going to be that election? Is Boris Johnson going to suddenly get a, a whim that he goes, oh, look, I'm just going to put Theresa May's deal back. Who wants to do Brexit by October the 31st to stop the Brexit party having an impact? Because obviously Labour would be a Labour be slightly cautious, Conservative MPs would be slightly cautious that the Brexit party will build momentum unless Brexit is kind of delivered in some way or the other. Do you see, we've, we're kind of interested on this podcast a lot in Labour voters that kind of abandon their quinoa and join sort of parties like yours because they're, yeah, they're, they're Lexit, Lexiteers. Um, are, you a, do you, are you a credible threat to the Labour party if there were an election this year or ever? Absolutely. I mean, you know... I think you particularly are, but in general, as a, <laughs> I think well, it's quite terrifying. I'll, I'll tell you that as a compliment. It's definitely a compliment. Okay, uh, I'll smile a bit more. Yeah. Um, no, I think, uh, I think, as I said, I think the interesting thing earlier, in terms of voters now, I think the st- things are more in flux than ever have been because I think increasingly people are identifying as leavers or remainers much more than they did on traditional party lines. Now, what that means for the Brexit party is it opens things up massively in terms of a general... I mean, look at the European election. The fact that you could have virtually a brand-new party win a national election, and OK, it was a European election, but the fact that can happen not that long ago would be completely and utterly unheard of. So who's to say... I mean, as I said, the point is, in a general election now, things will be far more unpredictable, I think, you know, in terms of even the Lib Dem threat on the other side to Labour, in terms of where the Remainers going to go. I think it'd be an absolute mugs game for anyone to get complacent and anyone getting into the, the, the you know, we've got these voters sewn up. I think with a campaign, if, you know, if, if, if our Brexit vote has been betrayed and yet again this is delayed and stopped... I think you'll see a, a very unpredictable general election. And quite fancy, quite, quite frankly, I fancy Nigel Farage and Brexit Party's chances because people know where we stand. We're very clear on where we stand. We've been very consistent. And it's a clean break Brexit. I think they do increase by the day, I have to say. The, the, the only thing that matters in this entire country is Brexit. Yeah. Everything you do involves Brexit. You know, you go and buy a packet of fish fingers. It's somehow Brexit related. It's, everything is yeah, about Brexit. Yeah, it's totally binary. And, and uh, I agree that the... The old um, partisan issues that I vote Labour, I vote Tory, have gone out the window, except at the very extremes of the party. It's the new Montague and Capulets. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's, is that kind of a great, like, as someone with pretty hard, like as a party with pretty hardened rhetoric around Brexit, looking at kind of how divided we are as a nation, how do you, like, how does that make you feel? Is it sort of job done or? I mean, look, our rhetoric compared to what people tell me in the streets is very soft. I mean, people are seriously, seriously angry. And I'll tell you why. There were a lot of people that I bumped into 
who weren't traditional voters, didn't normally vote in general elections, who went and voted in the referendum because they believed it was fundamentally about the future of the country, what sort of country we live in, you know, whether we're a self-governing country or whether we're a member of the European Union. They were told repeatedly, this is once in a lifetime, whatever you decide, we will implement. What they've seen then, the behaviour by MPs in Westminster has reinforced all of their fears and anger that they're basically ignored, belittled, talked down to and dismissed. It's added to that in such a massive way. And what, you know, whether, there are all the time I speak to Remainers who say, look, I voted Remain, but for God's sake, this is a democracy. You cannot just, you can, if you start ignoring votes, and, you know, this was a vote of 17.4 million people that voted for something, if you dismiss that, or even if you go towards a, a, a saying, you know, you must vote again, that is breaking trust in our entire democratic process. And people are saying to me, well, why should I, you know, th- there's the half that, 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 are, that are more and more resolute. So I get some people come up to me and say, I'm, I'm really annoyed, I'm more determined than ever now, I'm not going to let them ignore me. And I'm afraid there are some people who I have to talk around because they basically say, I've given up, what's the point? Everything I thought about Westminster and MPs has been totally reconfirmed by their actions since we We, we have said Brexit. this before, haven't we? Yeah. But the way that uh, parts of Parliament are just willfully ignoring the will of the people is extraordinarily dangerous. And um, just un- completely undemocratic. There's no other. And you're right that there are so many people who voted Remain, who um, who now maybe would think again, or, or just appalled at the way that the the result of the vote has been treated. And the really, I mean, the really, really dangerous thing is if we headed towards a position of having a second referendum, which is essentially this deal versus Remain, then the fury will be unprecedented because effectively, to Brexiteers, millions out there that support the Brexit Party. That, neither of those versions of Brexit. You've essentially got Remain versus Remain Light. Do you think in, in a bid to kind of unify the nation ever again, you maybe need to also consider the 42% of people that didn't vote to leave? 48% of people who didn't vote to leave. And so obviously, WTO, clean break Brexit is like pretty sexy stuff if you're a hardened Brexiteer like you are. But for the people who maybe didn't vote to leave, but who will be taken out of the European Union. Do you think there's any responsibility on the kind of deal that we do leave with to kind of vaguely respect? It was a pretty close court thing. Well, it was quite a few votes. I mean, it was a lot of votes, but you know, uh, no, look, I, in this room, there's probably as many Brexiteers as there are Remainers, perhaps. But, dare when I suggest. but when I'm on the street, I'm not saying, "Did you vote Remain? Don't talk to me." I'm no, engaging you, with people. I'm talking. You to love people. engaging. Of course, I do. And in terms of the European elections, on our list in my region, we had a guy who voted Remain. Paul Hearn, he was number four on the list. He's a Democrat. He thinks it's completely ridiculous that we're in a situation where the people vote. Now, whether you vote leave or remain, that argue about democracy will see the same. And don't forget, a lot of people voted remain on the basis there was going to be a recession and hundreds of thousands of jobs lost. And I would also say this, the people that are now saying that no deal is going to be an economic catastrophe and lots more people are going to lose their jobs, I think they're not be held up to a level of responsibility they should be. Because what was being said, and so a lot of this stuff is still on the internet, uh, from, from official government pages before the referendum about there's going to be an immediate recession on 500,000 job losses. I couldn't think of a more irresponsible thing to do in politics than threaten that, that, that you know there's going to be large-scale job losses. That was proved to be complete and utter baloney. Oh, come to on. Be fair, what about ha- promising have- 35 billion quid back into the NHS every week on a bus? I mean, that was... But there, but there have been huge commitments towards the NHS in terms of funding. I want those hospitals that already exist that no, you can't you sh- actually build. Come you on, shouldn't. you can't use that, come on. We have tried our best to discredit both, by the way, there are, in the, the interim years. No, there are, so. Listen, there are a lot. Do not underestimate the in number the inter- of, In the interest of balanced journalism and accuracy, yes. <laughs> do, yeah. do not underestimate the number of Remainers as well who feel very angry that they were like completely lied to. 
Mm. In terms of, uh, we were told it was going to be complete chaos from day one. We were told there was going to be economic catastrophe. Look at wages going up. Look at unemployment going yeah, because down. Because we haven't left, we haven't left the European Union well, no, no, yet. But, no, but this is what the same people that are saying no deal be catastrophe were saying. A leave vote, not leaving the EU. A leave vote would be an economic catastrophe. Exact same people. It's totally and utterly irresponsible. And so, like I said, when I'm on the streets talking to whether it's leave voters, or remain voters, there's a level of anger from remain voters they would like to. But overall, people want Brexit delivered. But it has to be a clean break from the European Union. What I don't want is I don't want one of these horror deals put through where there's years more of acrimony where people are saying, wait a minute, what do you mean we haven't got control of state aid? Oh, well, the EU still got control over these things. That is not good for our politics. It's not what we voted for. We voted to have a clean break from the EU, be an independent self-governing nation, and right or wrong, the British government to make decisions in policy areas and then you judge them in an election. That is about them getting back to democracy and getting back to being an independent country. Absolutely. What is, do you have a domestic agenda? So we say we do leave on the 31st of October and there's no horror show in the 1st of November. It's just... Independence Day. What happens to you guys? Like, obviously, you'll be out of a job, but do you continue to kind of capitalise on this huge movement that you guys have built with a sort of domestic agenda, or do you all go back to your day jobs as whatever you get up to in the day? Well, look, if we get a clean break Brexit, we'll obviously be absolutely delighted. Big but party. From the, from, yeah, but I mean, in terms of our in terms of our domestic agenda, the one big plan we've set out already is, and um, there's a, there's a feeling right across the country when you go outside of London that the country culturally, politically dare I say from a media point of view, is far too concentrated in the capital city and those outside of it are all too far forgotten. Now, one of the plans that we revealed was to scrap HS2 to half the foreign aid budget and to not give the EU £39 billion. What that would then give you is a £200 billion kitty for an invest in the rest plan for, for, for coastal communities to areas legitimately where people feel they've been completely and utterly forgotten about and abandoned and all the people care about and want to talk about all the time is London. So that's, you know, that's a flavour of where we're going, to, we're going to be coming from. And I, uh, and I think that's very exciting. But look, politics in terms of the moment, in terms of where we're going to end up in Brexit in a month's time, who knows? I mean, I'm, I'm more, a lot of people I speak to think there's no chance uh, of us leaving anytime soon. I think... There may well be a general election. I hope there is. As I say, I think we need one. But we, the Brexit party is going to keep... We're not going away. We're going to be absolutely relentless in standing up for the 17.4 million. Mm. And yeah, I mean, you speak for our readers and um, listeners and everyone else with that. And uh, your passion is undeniable. Oh, thank you. So thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Paul, do you have any final final thoughts? Final thoughts about... On, uh, on I, I think Mr. that, I think that rather, two things that um, Michael was saying. Uh, one is um, the, the London-centric thing... The, the Westminster bubble extends, I'm increasingly concerned, to ourselves in the media. And I think. Do you agree, we, Michael? Yeah. Massively. With Massively. the exception of the right. Express, incidentally. But, well, kind of, uh, yeah, a bit with the Express. Yeah, no. I mean, listen to your accent. Where the hell are you from? <laughs> Not London. Um, but yeah, it does concern me that uh, the BBC, particularly. Um, don't uh, what, with their re- office in Manchester? Where's that again? Represent the feelings of the nation oh, and, the, and the tone of the nation. They just don't. Well, look at the referendum vote. The referendum vote, London was anomaly. It wasn't the standard. It was the one that stood out. That, that's the thing. It's, it, I think people that live in London, work in London, in, in the media and other aspects, seem to think that the rest of the country is like London. No, it isn't. Yeah. Uh, many of my it friends work for the BBC, incidentally, but they're not like my mum. London is a great city, though, isn't it? Yeah, well, no, but that's, not, that's not the question, is it? It's whether <laughs> the media is representative or, or accurately represents... Mm. Uh, the people of Britain, and right now, I'm not sure it does. The the the, the polarisation of Brexit. The bigger thing, and Michael touched on it as well, is is the the denial of democracy is become whichever way you vote it, 
it's very hard, and it almost doesn't matter which way you voted. The point is that that vote happened, and there are powers, um, the kind of new ruling class, really, who are doing everything they can to stymie the will of the people. And if that was in another country, you'd be appalled, mm. you'd be truly appalled. Yeah. Barnes, final thoughts from you, our man on the ground? Well, um, it's going to be a chaotic day, um, we're promised. So Michelle Barney is going to see David Frost. David Frost is going to then go and do what he does in the afternoon. And then Michelle Barney is going to go and see MEPs, going to see member, state, member states. So I expect lots of leaks, lots of gossip. Fabulous. Chaps, it's been an honour and a privilege. Michael Heaver, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks a lot. You're getting the train to Brussels now. How'd you get there? <sighs> The Eurostar, isn't Eurostar. it? But the, the point is as well, I mean, you know, it, it's worth upkeeping an arm what's going over there. And I like to speak to people because you can see from the EU side what's being said. And as I said, the Brexit party is absolutely going to be relentless in, in making sure we leave with a clean break on WTO terms. And we're not going to stop. Um, it's a very ambitious podcast today, Paul, because we are doing a two-centre oh, pod. No, absolutely. Um, so we've just go- said goodbye to Michael Heaver, Brexit Party MEP, and we are now joined by a very hungover Martin Brown in Manchester. Hello. Hello. How are you? We're all good. Welcome back. Thank you. What um, what, ca- what karaoke song did you do last night? Oh, a very bad rendition of This Charming Man. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's so perfect. Is that a nod to Boris? Or Jezza? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not feeling too charming this morning. Heaven oh knows gosh. you're miserable now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for getting out of bed. I hadn't really realised you were such indie kids, both of you. Um, okay, Martin, Boris is about to take to the stage um, for his inaugural uh, conference speech as leader. Um, we're also all getting very excited about the final offer deal, uh, which is the kind of uh, one island, four borders, 10 years, whatever you want to call it, um, fudge of a deal that he's... Uh, presenting to Brussels a bit later. What's the mood at conference like? Um, what are you expecting from the speech? And just what on earth has been happening in Manchester for the last couple of days? Well, the mood up here is very, very positive. Um, delegates are queuing. There's a massive queue to get into the main auditorium to to go and see uh, the Prime Minister. Um, the mood from the Cabinet and ministers and MPs is also very positive. I've been meeting with a few um, Cabinet ministers and they're all saying how how together the cabinet is and behind what, what Boris Johnson is trying to do. But yeah, I mean, as you'd expect from a Tory party conference, everyone's very energised and excited about um, the Prime Minister and what, what he's planning to do. Um, so yeah, as you said, it's his, his first uh, conference speech as, as leader of the Tory party and They've they've done something different this year. They've set out the stage so there's a bit of a, a catwalk down the middle. Oh um, my so god! You can, you can kind of interact with the audience a bit more. So. Oh my gosh! Like <laughs> Beyonce. Not, yeah, something like that. I'm not sure how it's going to work. Maybe he'll break out into uh, this charming man, and I can jump up <laughs> on stage and join him. Oh my gosh! But I mean, he's he's loved by everyone, and that's I think that's what they're trying to do. That he can kind of go into the audience almost, and um, you know, kind of feel the love. As it were. Love. On the technical stuff, is there enthusiasm for this for this final offer, this you know solution to the backstop that we've been waiting for? Well, there is in Manchester, but I don't think it really matters what what the. You're a bit of a microcosm, aren't you? Yeah, it's um, it's Brussels and Dublin where it really counts, and I mean the word, the early suggestions are that um, uh, it's it's not going to fly, but we'll we'll see um, we'll see how it all breaks down. I mean, the details look quite. Um, 
quite technical, uh, but I think, I mean, I it, it looks like he's chucked everything at this, and if he gets, I don't know, twenty percent, thirty percent of it, then he'd be, probably be quite pleased with that. So, um, but it really puts the ball firmly in Ireland and Russell's court now, and um, I guess he's going to unveil some more details in his speech later, and then. His Sherpa will be heading to Brussels later on today to do, to deliver the, the the full plans to um to the commission. Do you think, Martin, it's a it's um a realistic attempt, or is it a holding pattern to extend uh, Brexit into months and months to give him more time, basically to buy him more time? I, I genuinely think it's an attempt to get something across the line. I mean, I think they're trying to. They're, trying to bump Ireland into agreeing to... It's become a, a very political decision now and trying to bump Ireland into agreeing to something that they might not necessarily have done a while back. Um, because it's so complex and complicated that it shows that they've they've clearly got some ideas, but... I'm, I'm right earlier, that Arlene has given it a sort of tentative... Uh, welcome might be a bit strong, but she's... Uh, looking at it seriously. Yeah, um, I actually I had a drink with her the other night um, at a fringe meeting, and and her and the um, ERG members, the, the, the Brexiteers, they, they were kind of making noises that if there's a deal that actually means Brexit, then they would they would back it. So you sense that the the mood from the people that count, i.e., DUP. And the Brexiteers who who could, you know, hijack or you know, scupper the whole thing, they're willing they're willing to um, to bend on this. Um, but she did. It was quite telling though. She was asked, um, you know, it's all reaching a climax now. And she said, she said to me, I've heard all this before. So uh, she's she's probably quite skeptical of the whole thing. But I, yeah, yeah the general mood is that the, the important players are probably going to bend if. If the details come out today, that it's it's going to mean a proper Brexit. So yes, you, you were talking earlier about how kind of everyone just loves Boris. I mean, is there any mention up there about uh, Thighgate or uh, Jennifer Akuri? Is anyone concerned about these allegations? Obviously, Boris strenuously denies. Um, I mean, does it have any impact on his bearing? This kind of slightly questionable moral character. Paul Baldwin thinks I'm obsessed with talking about Boris's sex life. I can see it on his notes. Um, but I'm just curious, like for for a sort of socially conservative party, they've got quite I, an I amorous... I Britain is obsessed with talking about <laughs> Boris's sex life, I have to say. <laughs> it, I mean, it doesn't... For the first two days here, that's all everyone was talking about. I mean, none of the... Um, they were announcing policy after policy after policy, but none of that was of any, any interest to the to the media because everyone was talking about these allegations, but it doesn't, certainly in the, the bubble I'm in, it doesn't really stick. Um, I mean, the wider country on the, um, I'm, I'm guessing it does, but um, I was, I've been chasing the prime minister around now for about a week. I was in New York with him last week when um, all the allegations first, Jennifer Arcuri allegations first, um, Appeared in the in the uh, Sunday Times and um, and we we spoke to him about it on the plane on the way over and I mean he he's just refusing to talk about it and um, and and this week um, at conference they they kind of took the unusual step of denying uh, the Charlotte Edwards um, allegations and 
I guess that one's more difficult to prove. Uh, but no, it's kind of onwards and upwards really here. It's, um, it doesn't, it doesn't face the Tories. Um, it's kind of priced in with Boris Johnson anyway. You, you, <laughs> you kind of know that he's, he's had a colourful past. Um, and, but with the wider public, it probably does have a slight impact. Okay. So you, so you think it's all just bouncing off Boris? It's all good vibes? Doesn't matter yeah, who he's I, I grabbing so. I mean, or not? He, he, he just, I mean, these are serious allegations, mm. and, but it seems to just bounces off him. He's, he's Teflon. But he looks, when you see him around, and you know, all these all these kind of um, clips of him walking around the coffee cup incident yesterday, he just takes it all in his stride. He has this kind of natural charisma to, to get him through these situations, something that the previous prime minister um, didn't have. And... Yeah, nothing. Nothing seems to faze him. Even when you do confront him over allegations, and he, he just he, he kind of changes his demeanour, but he, he can still deflect attention away. What about the um, the kind of the the, the 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 discussion around like the type of language that's being used and kind of people, you know, invoking the legacy of murdered MPs or uh, use of the words surrender and treason and traitor, um, which you know kind of really came to a head last week in the Commons and was really unpleasant and a really dark day, I think, for British politics. I mean, he kind of laughed it off in that video from that fringe meeting. Uh, you know, he was kind of geeing up the crowd about it. Again, is that kind of the, is that just the vibe? Are we just going to say these? Well, does language not have any meaning anymore? Does are we kind of? I feel like we're just in a bit of a sort of post-Trump vacuum of morality. Yeah, it's, it's very Trumpian. Um, I mean, the, in the chamber last week in the Commons, it that was very brutal. That was the most brutal I've ever witnessed it in ten years. And uh, even more seasoned veterans um, were saying it's the you know the worst they've they've experienced in you know twenty twenty five years. I might add, I did do a very geeky thing and I checked um, Hansard and um, to see if he said the word traitor and he, he didn't actually say that um, but obviously surrender bill and the Joe Cox stuff and um, I mean yeah the language I think that both all sides need to kind of dial it down um, but I mean I've, as I said I've been talking to cabinet ministers here and MPs and they're, they're, all, they're all using that kind of language um war civil war uh, surrender all those kind of is war rhetoric and um I'm, i mean they might they do focus groups and it must cut cut through with um with the electorate and listening and that's a language that a lot of people kind of can um adhere to and it, it just works yeah so, so we're not expecting this bill to be this uh, his speech in a few minutes to be a kind of conciliatory act of, of bringing us all together you think this is going to be more kind of uh fire and brimstone big powerful words provocative words that you know make I, think great retweets. I, I think i think it will be um he uh, apparently he was up last night writing his speech um still working on it and um He's very good with with the words he uses and the the way he writes his speeches. Again, in New York, he was doing this. Uh, he had to do a speech to the UN, and um, apparently, he was working on it till late. You know, right up to the minute, few minutes before he was going to deliver the speech, and it was totally bonkers. It was an incredible speech um, about technology and artificial oh, intelligence, things like. And just to be able to write that. Is is quite remarkable, really. But um, so I, I think, yeah, we'll get we'll get 
um, t- typical Boris, as it were, today will get a lot of um, blood and thunder and final offer to the to, to the EU. But there'll there'll be jokes and gags and to go to go with the technical detail. Hopefully, that we, we might get a little bit of as well. Uh, the the only sniff I got of the in advance on the speech was that um, he was making a big play of the British public being taken for fools. But it wasn't quite clear who by. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure if it was him or the EU. I guess all that will be revealed. He'll also take the fight to Labour as well. I mean, it's what's been constant throughout all of this is a lot of Labour and Corbyn bashing. Um, so expect some spicy, fruity language about Jeremy Corbyn, I would imagine, in this speech. Okay. We'd expect nothing less. Martin, thank you so much for taking the time out of your hangover to speak to us. Um, <laughs> Pleasure, yeah. On, we're just watching the pictures on Sky. Boris has arrived. He, he was like storming through the conference centre. So um, we're, ex- we're very excited for the halftime show. Or no, what would this be? The finale? The swan song? I don't know. What's the appropriate analogy? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but we're very excited. A um, couple of Alka-Seltzer and hair of the dog, mate. That's what you need. And then <laughs> onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards. <laughs> uh, it was lovely to speak to you, Martin. Enjoy the afternoon and we will speak to you hopefully very soon. We've missed you. Thank you for listening to Brexit The Final Countdown. If you like what you heard, make sure you click subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, you could always leave us a review.